1: Listener, you're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about vexing vampires and diabolical desserts. I'm your host of the evening, Steve Taylor and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Billy Towers and Ashley Watson, our voice talents Eric Peabody, and Creepy Face. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale of the evening is written by Billy Towers and is performed by Eric Peabody. Roommates often bring with them a set of difficulties. Sometimes they're messy, sometimes they're loud, and sometimes they forget to take out the trash. Every so often though, some roommates bring with them issues from the other side. Without further ado, I present to you, Roommate 202B.
2: Finding compatible roommates is always a struggle, especially when those roommates are chosen for you. This is the situation that comes with student housing. After a rough patch of financial troubles, I found myself in this exact situation. I moved my stuff into a small four-bedroom apartment where I had a room to myself. One of my roommates was an older gentleman, a doctor, who we will call The Doctor for the sake of time and personal privacy. I rarely ever saw The Doctor as he often worked long days and I worked long nights. The doctor was visiting from another country that escapes my memory, but I knew that he was doing his research and was only in the United States for a short period, hence his need for student living. The next one that I met was an interesting fellow, a very devout follower of his faith. We will call him the preacher. The preacher often invited me to his Bible meetings, church services, and other events. I attended a few of these gatherings, but quickly grew a distaste for how I saw his fellow followers behave. Nevertheless, I have no ill will towards the preacher. I have little trust for anyone who lets their beliefs blind them. That brings me to the final roommate I met in my time in student housing, who we will call, for lack of better terms, the Theologian. He was an interesting young man, to say the least. He kept himself clean, but often wore baggy clothes that sagged over him. He had a scruffy beard that told me he rarely shaved, if ever, and his face was thin. He often avoided eye contact, which would normally be interpreted as untrustworthy, but he was kind enough when approached and was often soft-spoken for someone of his five-foot-nine stature. All four of us rarely interacted with each other during the first few months and often kept each interaction short, occasionally saying, good morning and how are you? Eventually, we grew more comfortable around each other. We began spending time outside of our rooms, watching movies with each other, mostly in silence but sometimes conversing over the movie being viewed. During one of these movie nights, an interesting conversation took place. I forget the details of how we reached the subject. Maybe it was because we were watching Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, or maybe it was a Bible study night, but we got onto the topic of faith, religion, and the afterlife. The preacher began to talk about the one true God, at least his version, and how if we all accept Him as our Lord and Savior, we will spend the afterlife in eternal glory. I didn't have the stomach for such speeches. They were a bit too preachy for my taste. The theologian caught me off guard with his response. He began explaining how there are multiple dimensions in our universe and that the energy that makes our souls can go to any one of these dimensions once we pass definitely a more interesting explanation but just as zealous in my opinion the two agreed to disagree and when the movie was over they went their separate ways i got up to go to my room when the theologian whispered to me from his doorway hey Bill, he said in a hushed tone, what do you think? The question caught me off guard, as I'd only been half listening to anything they were saying. I shrugged. I couldn't tell you, I've never died, so I don't know what's on the other side. This was the closest I could explain my feelings on the situation. I'm agnostic, so I don't put much thought into whether the afterlife is one way or another, I'll find out when I get there, was always the attitude I had towards the situation. He nodded at the floor with a slight smile. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Would you like to see something cool? Before I could respond, he opened the door to his room wide and stuck his arm out, inviting me in. The situation's oddness left me feeling uneasy, but he seemed harmless enough, so I entertained his invitation. This is where I explained the name I gave him, the theologian. Inside of his room were small idols on his desk and pictures of strange creatures covering the walls. Some I recognized immediately and others that were lost on me. So, what do you think? he said proudly. There were images of gods, monsters, and entities that spanned across multiple cultures, of which I only remembered maybe three or four. This is quite the setup, I finally muttered out after a brief moment of awkwardness. I was dumbfounded. What do you say to such a collection? He smiled briefly before ushering me over to an image of a four-armed woman who was wielding a sword in her top right hand and a decapitated head in another. This is the goddess Kali, the theologian began to explain as he went into the history and lore of the goddess. I was unfamiliar with the goddess, but listened intently nonetheless. He meant no ill will and wanted to share something he found interesting. Still, I was put off by his excitement. I tried to avoid this kind of behavior in the preacher. Even though I respect everyone's beliefs, I wasn't much for religion or idols myself and preferred to stay away from it when I could. After a few strange and awkward moments of silence in the room had passed, I continued going about my day. After that, an unremarkable week of working and spending time with friends went by when I started to notice what was going on in the theologian's room. It started small, with some flickering blue lights from under his doorframe at all hours of the night. A computer monitor was my best guess for the source of the illumination. We were all prone to long nights working on projects or watching videos, so I didn't put much thought into it. A few days after seeing the lights, I heard him talking to himself throughout the day. He rarely left his room, and when he did emerge, he barely said a word before returning to his room. I would hear only the quietest of whispers, but what I could make out was similar to chanting my heart eased briefly as i told myself he must be praying someone interested in the afterlife must have their form of worship so as much as i found the chanting unnerving i knew it was best to respect his privacy and stop eavesdropping that's when i started hearing the voices they came from the theologian's room quiet whispers that seemed to cut through the walls and directly into my ears. I couldn't discredit these voices as a video playing on his computer or a phone call. These voices sounded like people in the room with him, which made no sense because it was the middle of the night and I hadn't heard anyone enter our complex. I didn't sleep that night or the next night after that, On the second night, I noticed that the voices suddenly stopped, but I still remained restless until the morning. During my fit of tossing and turning, I decided to go on a night walk to clear my head. The summer air was cool and inviting on my skin and calmed my fraying nerves. I went around my apartment block once, enjoying the stillness of the night and the quiet of the world. When I turned to the next corner, the fragile peace I had acquired was shattered immediately. There, on the back walking path of the building, I saw the theologian, scribbling haphazardly onto the sidewalk with chalk. He had already covered half of the walkway by the time I had gotten there with strange symbols. Some I recognized as commercial logos, Others were more occult than I have seen in many religious practices, and some escaped my realm of knowledge entirely, making the ordeal even odder and more terrifying. What's going on here, bud? I asked calmly, trying to be as friendly as possible. The theologian didn't look up from his work, shaking frantically as he scratched into the cement with his chalk i was trying to invite something in i invited in something bad i'm making a protection spell it'll keep us safe that was all i needed to hear i slowly backed away from my strange roommate making sure to keep my eyes on him as i turned the next corner and immediately went back into the building when i got back to the apartment I locked the door to my room for the first time since moving in. I didn't know how much protection it would offer, if it would offer any protection at all, but it was the only thing that made me feel safe. I don't know much about the other side or how much merit the theologian had, but something felt off after seeing those symbols. Something had been moved that wasn't supposed to be moved and now the energy around me was dense. Somehow, I think I had fallen asleep in the excitement because the next thing I remember is being in a dreamlike state in my room, a lucid dream. Some might call it an out-of-body experience. Everything around me was a dull gray-blue, completely unmoving and still. The very air around me stayed in place as I stiffly moved through it. I used to have these constantly as a child and don't think much of them. Only after this experience did I realize what these dreams meant. I began to walk around in my dreamlike state, simply waiting for when I would naturally wake up and leave this strange state of being. this time something was much different something was wrong there was a feeling all around me the feeling you get when you know you're not alone but can't see anyone else i looked around in my blue dream state searching every room in my apartment to see who was in here with me I found nothing near me. The door to the outside of the apartment refused to open in this reality. Maybe it was because my mind couldn't fathom the hallway at that moment, or maybe it was because I could only get so far away from where I was sleeping. Either way, I wasn't leaving this unit, and I still felt like something was in here, reaching out to me, that was when i saw the lights they were small at first a few flickers from the corner of my eye but enough to catch my attention i turned around in the direction i saw the shimmering and noticed it was coming from under my next door roommate's door frame against my better judgment i slowly walked toward the door watching as the flickering light slowly became more consistent the closer I got to the room. I tried to resist the pull of the light, but my curiosity got the better of me. Something on the other side of the door was calling out to me, asking me to meet and gaze upon it. I soon obliged this urge with my hand on the doorknob and slowly opened the door. Next, what I saw twisted my concept of reality and warped my mind beyond comprehension. Inside the room, twirling and writhing, was a vortex of swirling energy that engulfed the entire room. The light that shined from it spiraled and flickered sporadically as several bluish-white amorphous figures stumbled through the portal and floated through the air. I stood in shock and disbelief at the sight before me, unable to think or move. While I stood in the door, I noticed the figures fumbling and misshapen, making their way toward me, not full of malice or ill intent, but longing. They wanted me. They wanted me to join them. I felt the vortex pull on my soul again and gathered what willpower I had left, and gathered what willpower I had left to close the door quickly. I turned to the mirror that stood over the shared sink and slowly walked toward it, the gravity of the other world pulling against my momentum. I pulled myself away from the portal with every ounce of strength I could muster. I finally got to the sink and rested my hand on the counter, looking my reflection dead in the eye. Wake up. I mouthed the words to myself, no sound coming from my mouth. As I stood in front of the mirror, I saw my roommate's door open in the reflection. I watched as amorphous beings marched one by one, slowly out of the room reaching for me with long fingerless appendages wake up this time there was sound but it was barely a whisper what could only be described as a mind-splitting headache rang through every fiber of my being as the figures continued their trot towards me wake up I woke up screaming the last word in a cold sweat, shooting upright in my bed with cold sweat soaking my sheets. I gasped for breath, my lungs burning with every inhale. After an hour, I managed to calm myself enough to breathe without hyperventilating. I didn't sleep that night, staring at my door for what only felt like a few minutes It was only when I saw the first morning light that I realized how long I'd been awake, and the exhaustion of staying awake all night toppled with my nightmarish experience hit me all at once. I couldn't close my eyes, though. I couldn't risk going back to that place. I avoided The Theologian for the next few weeks, leaving the apartment completely every time he left his room four weeks later he was gone completely i still shuddered at the thought of going to sleep turning to sleep medicine since i knew i couldn't stay awake forever i dreaded slipping into unconsciousness but if i could have a dreamless slumber i could at least think i was safe a week after the theologian disappeared I got a text from him he explained that his mental health had taken a fall he said he was being readmitted to the hospital he was released from he was a patient at a psychiatric facility treated for several mental concerns he had shown considerable improvement in his time there and soon found himself well enough to be out on his own The stress proved too much for him in the end, and he once again found himself seeking help. I sincerely hope he gets the help he needs and stays away from occult practices. I don't blame him directly for what happened to me, but I know now more than ever that there are certain forces beyond our understanding and that some doors are meant to stay closed.
0: You can live out your master chef dreams. When you find
1: a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel... Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs
1: I hope you enjoyed Roommate 202B as written by Billy Towers and voiced by Eric Peabody. Our second tale of the evening comes to us from author Ashley Watson and is performed by Creepy Face. In it, we'll meet someone that puts a new spin on the old adage, be careful what you wish for. Now, without further ado, I present to you, The Gift-Giver.
3: On the morning of my birthday, I woke up to an incredibly sweet surprise. A cupcake with a little slip of paper poked out of its delicious frosting. I immediately grinned, imagining my mom or dad sneaking in while I was asleep to place the delicacy. After rubbing the last bits of sleep out of my eyes, I sat in bed and swung my legs off while grabbing the cupcake off my bedside table. I also noticed a journal next to it with my name engraved on the cover in big golden letters. But the cupcake remained in control of my sleepy-brained attention. I took a quick swipe at the icing and sucked it off finger before grabbing the paper shoved in it. I was amused upon opening it when I read what it said. Happy 18th birthday, Mac. You've been given this list as a way to fulfill all of your birthday wishes. Just write down everything you want, and they will find their way to you throughout the week following your birthday. I remember you saying you needed a journal, so I took the liberty of filling in one of the blanks with that. Happy wishing. Below this explanation were four empty blanks to fill with whatever I could want. I felt the biggest smile stretch across my face, excited at how awesome this would be. My parents had really thought of an incredibly awesome gift idea, and I couldn't wait to thank them. As I gobbled down the cupcake and took a peek at the monogrammed journal they had gotten, Sliding my fingers around the golden letters of my name on the cover, I thought about what I wanted, writing it down as ideas popped into my head. Here's what I wrote, minus number one of course, journal. One, a new phone. Two, a German shepherd puppy. Three, a new watch. Four, mom's chocolate cake. Whenever I headed downstairs, they were already chatting over coffee in the kitchen. As my mom saw me descending the stairs, she quickly dashed somewhere in the den, bringing back a present and placing it before me. I'm shocked you didn't find it this year, honestly. She joked while beaming at me, waiting for me to open it. You've managed to get at least a sneak peek every year since you were five. I guess your father's to blame for some of those years, though. She pretended to scowl at him but couldn't keep up the act with how happy she was. My dad chuckled, pretending to shield himself from my mom's look with his coffee cup. Go on ahead and open it, buddy, he told me. I opened it to find a journal. It didn't have my name monogrammed on it or anything, but it was still pretty good quality. I loved it, but I was confused about why they would get me two journals. Why did you get me two? I asked. To what? My mom asked with a confused look on her face. Journals. You got me the other one with my name on it. I replied. I knew my mom didn't have the best memory, but she had never forgotten something like this before. She always forgot little things at the grocery store, or to water her plants. She wouldn't forget she bought me a present, and and another one nearly like it. I didn't get you another journal, replied my mom. She glanced at my dad and asked, Did you get him one and not tell me? My dad shook his head, clearly also confused. Remember I told you that you could handle his gift this year? I showed them the journal, note, and cupcake wrapper Which they continued to deny Honestly, at that moment in time, I thought they were pranking me And I'm sure, in their minds, they thought I was pranking them Or that maybe one of my friends was pranking us Either way, it didn't seem like a huge deal especially after they revealed my biggest gift. They led me outside, blindfolded into the driveway. After they took the blindfold off, I was shocked to see a white Nissan Altima with a big red bow on its hood. And I grinned from ear to ear, completely forgetting the rest of this morning's previous events. Day 2 My parents had decided to take me out to eat for dinner tonight as another birthday gift We had all discussed how strange the cupcake and letter had been But I'm not sure they entirely believed me about the incident I'm pretty sure they thought I was pranking them just as much as I initially thought they were pranking me Even after I told them about the puppy They still seemed a little skeptical but I could tell they didn't want me to think they didn't trust me on the off chance that I was actually telling the truth. I'd have trouble believing myself too, considering I got rid of the evidence of the cupcake fairly quickly. It was pretty delicious, and it was just a very strange thing to happen. Just before we made it inside the restaurant, my parents saw a friend of theirs who was leaving. They stopped to chit-chat, and while they were in the middle of that conversation, I wandered off a bit down the sidewalk, admiring the bushes of red roses beside the restaurant windows. Their fragrance drifted through the cool breeze, calming my nerves a bit. As I glanced down the alley beside the restaurant, I noticed they had a beautiful mural covering the brick walls. A mural of a sunset overlooking an ocean with a beautiful island in the background. I walked closer to admire it, and to get a peek at what the little figures on the sandy beach before the ocean were doing. As I neared the wall, I noticed that it was tiny people who had been added fairly recently. The fresh paint shone as the sun beamed down on it, and then I noticed the party hats on their heads, and the balloons in their hands, all surrounding a tiny person holding a cake. 18 tiny candles stuck out of the cake, lit up and waiting for their purpose, and the actual cake had an arrow painted on it, pointed towards the right, the arrow aimed towards what I assumed was the back alley of the restaurant, after I realized there was nothing on the painting that it could be directed at. The whole scene left me feeling giddy. Surrounded by the partygoers, the lucky birthday person seemed so happy, and they didn't seem to have any other care in the world besides blowing out the candles on their cake. I wondered if that same fate awaited me within the restaurant. Would my parents surprise me with a cake full of candles, ready for me to make a wish? Is that how they would surprise me with another gift? finally admitting it was them that had left the mysterious list. I felt that the painting was a sign for me, but I knew there wasn't a way to be sure without following the arrow. I felt my giddiness fade a bit as confusion took over, however. Why would my parents put another surprise in the behind this restaurant. Suddenly appearing a bit ominous, the possibilities behind the arrow seemed dire. A stark contrast to the brightly colored birthday cake it sat upon. It seemed strange, but the idea that my parents were still behind Frank is what made my legs move in the direction that the arrow aimed I realized my judgment was incredibly flawed whenever I saw the puddle of red on the pavement spreading gradually to its grassy cracks. Splayed out on the pavement was a dead body and whoever it was had unluckily smashed her head until her face was unrecognizable. Bits of her brain and bone surrounded her head mixing with the blood to form a screwed-up halo. Her right hand was chopped clean off, almost fascinating with how perfect the amputation seemed. Beside the girl's body, firmly latched in her only remaining hand, was a shopping bag from a popular electronics store, and the sight of it made my stomach churn. I could still hear my parents' conversation carrying on. Them laughing along to some joke someone had made, and my body screamed for me to become a part of that conversation that only moments before had felt like a bore to me. I tried to scream for help or scream at all, but it was like every muscle in my body suddenly refused to operate. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't tear my eyes away from the gruesome scene. The birthday list flashed into my head as I glanced at the bag, picturing a new phone. I tried to shut down that thought, but I swear. I saw the girl's fingers flexing towards the bag like her corpse was wanting me to open it. I jerked backward from the corpse so hard that I lost my balance and fell to the ground. A slip of paper flew out of the shopping bag and landed at my feet. The wind still gently blowing it made it seem like it was nudging my foot. And my curiosity got the best of me. I unfolded the crumpled up paper and realized it was a receipt for a new phone in the exact brand I wanted. Once again, Happy Birthday Mac was written at the top and I felt my heart skip a beat. I had no idea who this girl was, so there was no way that she could have bought this phone for me. Someone was clearly screwing with me, but were they seriously demented enough to stalk someone and kill them just for me to have a phone? My eyes flashed to the empty space where her hand should be, and horrific images flashed through my mind at what it was taken for. That thought slowly trickled out of my mind as I saw black spots dancing around my vision and I felt very dizzy. I slumped to the ground before realizing what was happening, blacking out with the crumpled receipt still in my clutch. Day three. Being interviewed by the cops is an absolutely horrible birthday present but they questioned me about every single factor of my life and the current events of my ongoing birthday week before turning me loose. I didn't get to have my birthday meal, which wasn't the worst part of the day. The worst part was being barely able to sleep. Whenever I could fall asleep, I would wake up screaming after having dreams of watching her head get bashed in her hand being sawed off, and her receipt being removed and replaced in the shopping bag with her murderer's strange calling card. A calling card that had everything entirely to do with me, which is something I'm sure the police will have trouble completely letting go of, even though I did absolutely nothing to that girl. Despite all of this, sadly, still had to go to school. For a moment, I wished I had written no school for my birthday week on the list, but I then pictured scenes of my school being blown up or a shooting happening, both making me shudder and feel thankful that I hadn't been that selfish. My first ride to school in my new car would have been rather enjoyable thanks to how beautiful the weather was today. But the looming threat of another gift being given to me at any moment made it nearly impossible not to be on edge. It felt like the world knew what was going on and was trying to help cheer me up. But the gift giver had made this birthday one. Full of nervous looks over my shoulder In the fear that I might end up being the next dead body I felt like I couldn't trust anyone Do you know those scenes in the movies That are so absolutely perfect That the characters feel suspicious of their surroundings? They want to call bullshit on everything But they aren't sure if they should trust their instincts or not That is 100% how I felt, and that is exactly how this drive to school felt. I was just waiting for something to go wrong. And then, like clockwork, I saw something on the side of the road that made me pause my anti-joy ride to take a look. As I pulled over and climbed out of my car, I felt goosebumps prickle on my arms. The cool breeze blowing through the trees surrounding the street felt just a little too chilly. What initially caught my eye about the object was something bright red attached to it. As I walked towards it, I quickly realized it was a red ribbon and that it was wrapped around something fuzzy. I paused in my tracks at the sight, alarm bells immediately going off in my head. Even though I knew looking wouldn't leave anything good, and even though the alarm bells kept ringing in my head, something else called me towards this object. I had to see what it was, but as I crept even closer to the object, my heart dropped into my stomach before shattering into a million pieces. It was a puppy, specifically a German shepherd, that looked like it was a couple of months old before its tragic death. The poor thing looked like it had been run over and the red ribbon was wrapped tightly around its neck. That wasn't the worst part though. The worst part that made me feel like someone had taken a scrap of my broken heart and stabbed me with it was the tag attached to the bow that simply read Happy Birthday Mac and nothing more. I looked around through the trees, wondering if whoever had done this was somewhere out there, watching. I took a picture of the puppy before moving it out of the road and snatching the tag off the ribbon, ensuring it had no connection to me. I felt bad leaving it there, but I had no idea what to do with it, and I didn't want to be late for school. I couldn't believe I had ever thought this was my parents or friends pranking me, or that this was a prank to begin with. They could never do something this insane and screwed up. But who could, and what did they want with me? Day 4 Whenever he wakes up in the morning, My dad's routine is to grab the newspaper on the front porch and read it while sipping on a cup of coffee. This morning, I ended up being included in that routine whenever he gently shook me away. My eyes opened to see him sitting on the edge of my bed with a concerned look on his face, a box in his lap wrapped in birthday-themed wrapping paper, and a decorative bow on top. My parents thought it would be best to take the present to one of the detectives working on the murder case I had involuntarily become a part of, and I, of course, agreed immediately to that idea. It was a few days before they got back to us, but there wasn't a single moment in those utterly exhausting days when I didn't think about what was in that box. A million different ideas of what it could be zoomed through my head at a hundred miles per hour, constantly giving me a pounding headache. I knew if it was something from the list, and it most likely would have to be the watch, considering recent events. Images of her severed hand popped into my head every time I remembered this, making it throb even more. And it was hard to shut those thoughts out. Every time the house phone rang, I would practically torpedo across the house, waiting for all of the painful questions in my head to be answered, hoping for some relief. Random calls from distant family or family friends checking on us with all that was going on annoyed me to high heavens. But finally, after those few agonizing days, they were on the other end of the phone with answers. I allowed myself to hope for a moment That it wasn't what I thought it was That my dark thoughts were just a product of my horrific flashbacks And not the truth That hope was crushed Whenever the detective explained the watch I had screenshotted from a website a few months ago Still on my phone And apparently on the girl's severed wrist I ran to the bathroom and vomited immediately whenever my parents begrudgingly gave me that information. Picturing the box delicately and precisely wrapped and decorated with the bow made my headache grow to be a full-on migraine. It throbbed to the beat of my racing heart and I felt like I was going to hyperventilate. I locked myself in the bathroom away from my parents. My mom knocked on the door for a few minutes and I could hear the sadness and worry voice I needed to be alone though so I didn't respond I just laid limply on the cold tiled floor trying to focus on not hurling again and eventually I heard my dad coax her away from the door to give me space the detectives called me in to be questioned again so I had to suffer through the same questions of whether or not I knew anyone who could do this have I noticed anyone seemingly stalking me before? Is there anyone who might hate me, etc.? The questions ended with dead ends just like they did the first time they were asked. And I felt even more defeated than I had the first time. Becoming sure that the cops had no leads and no idea who was tormenting me. Was this what the gift giver wanted? To torment me until I was completely destroyed. If so, they were getting pretty damn close. Day 5 As all horror stories go, the person within them goes through periods where they believe life can't possibly get worse until it does. Their lives become a steadily increasing shit show of their worst nightmares come to life and they are just along for the ride, being tossed and turned and thrown and flipped through hellish experiences until they truly get to their own personal hell. Torture is gradual in these stories and I wasn't very fond of the fact that it was being forced upon me. I stupidly thought it couldn't get worse And then it did I had reached the personal hell that had now become my life My parents sometimes liked to go for drives Windows down and music that they grew up with blasting through the car speakers I used to go with them all the time when I was little and watching them have their own little mini concerts was the most hilarious and fun thing for me. I hadn't gone in years, telling them repeatedly that I was too grown up for that. But after the week I had had, I gladly hopped in the car with them whenever they invited me this time. As the car glided down the road, I realized how stupid I had been for missing out on this for so many years. I never realized how much I had distanced myself from my parents. Everything was fine as we drove down our street, admiring the trees and the last glowing embers of sunlight. The sky was a beautiful mixture of oranges, yellows and pinks, like an oil painting in the sky. The wind whipped through our hair and smelled of fresh cut grass. Wrapped up in this peaceful moment, I felt some of the grips of my headache being relinquished to the air, calming me more than I had been since this whole encounter started. I allowed myself to be distracted, hopeful even, and that's not a good thing to be in a horror story. There is no room for hope in those, at least not in mine. And I was stupid to think there was But I enjoyed those few blissful moments Until I heard my parents stop singing I thought maybe they were just changing the song As the current one had stopped blasting out of the speakers But then I heard hushed whispering The kind they did whenever they were arguing And didn't to know. What do you mean? Snapped my mom. I could tell she was aggravated, but I also saw a flicker of something else. Fear, maybe. The car isn't slowing down, responded my dad, clearly just as aggravated. I have the brake to the floor, but it isn't slowing. The car isn't slowing down. My parents stared at each other, clearly in shock at what that might mean. But we didn't fully realize it as a family, because suddenly all at once, we realized the intersection was coming in hot. There was a lot of screaming, a lot of cursing, a lot of honking horns, and a lot of my dad slamming his hands on the steering wheel in anger before we slammed into the car crossing the intersection. I was instantly knocked forward upon impact. Slamming into the console and the shifter with enough force to knock the wind out of me And blacked out I woke up in the hospital Apparently after a few surgeries They told me the brake line had been cut Which caused the accident We ran straight into the other car thanks to our inability to stop at the stop sign. My parents died upon impact, and I made it out with shattered kneecaps, a broken pelvis, a concussion, and severe bruising. They said I had been very lucky to survive, and survive without being paralyzed or having severe brain or nerve damage. But I felt very far from lucky After the accident, I barely wanted to live I sat wallowing away in bed most days Completely convinced that I had nothing else to live for I knew there was one last wish that hadn't been given yet But there was no room for it to occupy my mind thanks to everything else taking over. My life had become miserable because of a stupid list of five items. Five items I thought were a completely innocent prank at first. What even was the point in the list anyway? Why was it sent to me, of all people? Why was I chosen to be tortured? Every day my physical therapist would beg me to get up and try to get better and exercise my limbs. But I couldn't find the motivation for the longest. Eventually he convinced me by reminding me that my parents wouldn't want me to give up. And I knew they wouldn't. It took a while, but I slowly got better. Still couldn't find the motivation. To take care of myself Completely neglecting myself Hygiene wise Besides when the nurses Gave me bed baths Because they pitied me I couldn't even force myself to eat So I wasted away Like the shell of a human that I was Which didn't help Physical therapy either Despite my unwillingness And sometimes even downright repulsion to eat, a wonderful nurse named Lily tried her absolute best to get to me. She bought every meal they served to me, uncovered the trade, try to entice me, and even offered to hand-feed me. On one particular day, she just so happened to mention an item on that day's lunch menu that made my heart drop into my stomach. They're serving chocolate cake for lunch's dessert today, Mac. She said as she opened up my breakfast. She didn't notice the look of panic mixed with disgust on my face. I found myself completely unable to use my words at that moment. Not because of my inability to gain motivation for any simple task, but because of fear. I feared that chocolate cake with every fiber of my being. Even still, like the always dependable and delightful person that she is, Lily brought me my lunch today with a supposedly delicious slice of chocolate cake. I didn't dare to put it in my mouth, so I didn't know. Whether she knew about it or not, I'm not sure. But there was a note that slipped under the plate That my slice of cake was on She told the detectives on my case that she didn't know about it But I find it so hard to trust people nowadays Even though she had never given me a reason to doubt her before The writing on the note said I know it's not your mom's, but that would be pretty impossible to get at this point. Happy birthday, Mac. Lily was incredibly shocked whenever I burst into tears, and she couldn't really do much to console me. She still attempted for about ten minutes, which is all she could manage with all her other patients but I was still grateful for her trying to help. As I tell you this, it's been three years since my parents died. I've tried for all three of those years to figure out who they were, but the cops said they didn't have enough evidence to pinpoint who it was, considering all they had was the person's handwriting. They even investigated Lily, but never found anything from that route either. The only thing they could figure out about the girl that the gift giver murdered was that the last place she was seen was the electronics store she bought the phone, and the workers there said she acted like everything was okay. From what they could tell, she didn't have anyone with her, and no one was following her when she left. After I had gotten released from the hospital, I dreaded returning to my empty home for a while, but after spending more than enough money on hotels, it was the only place I could go. My parents' lawyer had called me to let me know I had been given everything according to their will, which was a minor plus side to this shitstorm. I still had a bit of debt to pay off from the hospital though, but at least I wasn't homeless. It didn't sit right with me that the gift giver knew where I lived. But I wasn't financially stable enough to move, clearly. Even if I was, who knew if they would find me again? Since it's been three years, I'm just now getting back into the swing of things. Figuring out how to handle life without my parents around Friends I've made along the way have been my biggest support. I haven't had any more notes sent to me from the gift giver. So I'm finally beginning to accept that it might be over. It's my 21st birthday. Another milestone in my life is a brand new beginning. At least that's what I was hoping for whenever I woke up this morning. I woke up feeling refreshed and excited about the birthday plans I had made. All those plans, my happiness, and my hope for the future would come crashing down in a moment, once again reminding me that I am still and always will be in my own personal horror story. And in that painfully terrifying moment, I opened my eyes to a cupcake on my nightstand, just like I had seen in my nightmares for years now. In the same spot, and with a slip of paper poking out of its icing. The nightmares of this haunting image were just beginning to subside. But here it was, once again. The cupcake was chocolate with crimson red frosting. Reminding me of the blood surrounding the girl's smashed head and the slip of paper contained one single line. Ready to make more wishes
1: I hope you enjoyed The Gift Giver, as written by Ashley Watson, and performed by Creepyface. Creepyface's performances can be found right here on our very own network, as well as on his YouTube channel called By The Same Name. Now our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close, but before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com
0: The Dark Nights. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality.